Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. Well, hello everybody. I'm Hal. And I'm Melanie. And we want to welcome you to another episode of Making Biblical Family Life Practical. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by what I think may be my favorite piece of furniture in the house. It's bookshelves. Well, it's a good thing it's your favorite kind of furniture because we have bookshelves in every room of the house. But that's because we have a lot of books. And every one of our kids has learned to love books just like your parents do. And we read a lot just for fun. You know, and... And we've talked about it some on the podcast about, you know, different serious things that we read and whatnot. But really, we read a, a pretty good amount of fiction, too. Oh, I read fiction every day. That's how I fall asleep at night. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, some people think that that's a waste of time. I, I don't. I don't either. You know, when we look at the New Testament, the Lord told a lot of stories. Uh-huh. You know, he used parables because telling a story engages someone in what you're teaching, and it helps them remember it. it. It does, and I think, you know, one of the the characteristics of telling a story, of telling a fictional tale, is you can't be super detailed. You have to, you have to decide what, what features of the character of the situation will advance the message that I'm trying to get across. And so it's not going to be as nuanced as real life. So the message can come across more clearly. Exactly. Also, I think it gets past people's shields. Because think about the prophet Nathan when he was yeah. talking to King David. And if he'd just gone and said, King, you're wrong, I, you know, David probably would have just brushed it off. Right. But he told David a story. Right. And David got engaged in the story and interested in the story. And he became angry on behalf of the man that was done wrong. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan looked at him and said, you're that man. You are the man. You you're are the, the one, one that did wrong. You are the, the villain in the story that you just reacted to. And it brought and, him to repentance. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think Jesus used stories to illustrate lessons, to try to bring across a principle. And, you know, we've talked about this when we talked about other media, that, you know, every story has something behind it. They have some purpose. It doesn't necessarily mean a great, you know, Aesopian type of moral, you know, at the end. But but every story has a theme. Mm -hmm. It has something that the author or screenwriter is trying to convince you to believe or do. Mm -hmm. And when you you look at those things, some are good or some are bad, but particularly how we wanted to talk today about genres, about different genres of fiction Mm -hmm. that, you know, I hear people saying, oh, a Christian shouldn't read this genre. Well, okay, so like somebody, one of our readers or listeners had asked the question, what about science fiction and fantasy? Which, they get grouped together, they're not the same thing, but, okay, let's talk about science fiction. Uh, some people try to say, well, it should be speculative fiction, you know, because it's, you know, we're trying... Well, we're, whatever, we're, yeah. Yeah, whatever you want to call it, but the idea being, we are inventing a world a world in the future, a world on a different planet, or whatever, and we're placing characters in it to live out their lives in some way, um, that can be that can be a positive thing. 
Absolutely. But, you know, I see where the knee-jerk reaction comes from because Mm -hmm. I read a lot of science fiction when I was a teenager. A lot of science fiction and fantasy, too. And then I pretty much abandoned it because I realized that so much of it was downright evil. Right. I think because those particular genres attract authors who want to create a new world, perhaps a world made in their image mm-hmm. where God's law doesn't apply. Right. They want to create a world with new rules. And, you know, that, that's a problem. And it kind of brings up something, something we use as we evaluate media, entertainment, books, just to say, okay, does this, it, it's the story they're telling and the principles that they're putting in front, are these um, compatible with a Christian worldview? Not necessarily do they quote the Bible, There's, you know, it doesn't have to be explicitly Christian, but is it something which you can look at from a Christian worldview and say, this is acceptable, this doesn't contradict what God tells us is true. It doesn't tempt me to sin. You know, uh-huh. that's something we have to watch out for. Right. And, you know, some, I know when I'm, when I was in high school, a lot of science fiction had a lot of inappropriate stuff in it. Right. But in recent years, mm-hmm. there have been Christians getting into writing science fiction and publishers like Bain Books that publish things that are that are more acceptable to a Christian worldview. Not all of their mm-hmm. books, of course, but, right. but you know, I think about, um, what's the one we read with the, about the maple syrup? That oh, was fun. Oh, oh yeah. Live free or die. Yeah, it was yeah. basically the free market in, in space. Uh-huh. You know, right. Or Nathan Lowell's book, um, Quarter Share, was a lot of fun for the same reason. Uh-huh. You know, entrepreneurs in space. And, and, and it kind of said, okay, if we, if we take humanity and put it on a different planet, put it in a different century, human nature hasn't changed. It's still the same. It, it, it will look a little different, and that makes it entertaining. You know, to say, oh, do we have cars that levitate rather than run on the ground? Okay, that's fun to think about. But the basic principle of humanity and human interaction doesn't well, doesn't change. You know, Suzanne and I were talking about that this morning, that it's got to be a good, a good story without all of the fantastic trappings or the science trappings. I remember Gene Roddenberry said something about that when he was creating Star Trek. He said... Yeah. You know, it really is just a wagon train to the stars. Well, I think Isaac Asimov wrote an article for TV Guide. I remember reading it when I was in high school. And he said, to, to be good science fiction, it first has to be good fiction. It has yeah. to tell a story that we can connect to that doesn't require us to say, uh, somehow human beings are going to be totally different 150, 200, 300 years from now than they have been throughout all of history. You know, no. <laughs> and so, so yeah, there's a plausibility factor built in to make it good. But I think that's one of the things. We have to, you know, all of these genres we have to look at with the discernment to say, is this, is this author in rebellion against God in some way, or is, is he just portraying human nature in a way that is compatible with what God has told us to be true? Right. And... It- and so, yeah, I I, enjoy, I am enjoying some science fiction again. Uh-huh. David Weber, some of his stuff. Yeah. And, but it, science fiction requires a lot of discernment. It's not something you just set your, your 13-year-old free in the science fiction section because there's a lot of garbage. Mm-hmm. Probably the majority of it's garbage, but there's some good stuff out there, too. Well, and, okay, fantasy is kind of a related genre. Yeah, and if you throw but, that out, you're throwing out... 
C.S. Lewis is Narnia. And, and Tolkien's Middle Earth. Yeah. And some other, and, you know, you have to say, well, how are they different than some of the stuff that's available out in the modern media, the, the more current things? Well, you say. know, Tolkien said every great story has, I mean, ele- every good story has elements of the greatest story. Right. You know, that it it should it should tell a tale where good wins. Right. You know, and bad is defeated. But, you know, I, one thing that should be said mm-hmm. is that some, you can't draw a clear, bright line because people are tempted differently. Uh-huh. And something that somebody might be able to just gloss over or turn the page, another person's going to be sorely tempted by. Or maybe it's something that has bad connections in their memory and their yes. in the past. You know, I've, I've had this discussion with people about about some types of popular music where one person doesn't find it at all objectionable and another person says, you know what, when I, when I really loved this music when it came out and I was in deep rebellious sin, and so this, this kind of brings back bad memories to me. So I right. really don't like that. So you have to, I think we have to give each other the liberty yeah. to, to follow our own conscience on, these, on all of these genres. Like we've talked about so many times, there's this wide road of Christian liberty Mm-hmm. where there's a ditch of legalism. No, Christians cannot read all these genres. Right. And there's a ditch of license. Read anything you want, no matter how how much offensive sin there is in it, and you'll be fine. The truth is between those two. And what is profitable for one person may not be profitable for another. You know, one I, that brings up something. Yeah. I saw someone post on social media the other day. She said, you know, romance fiction ruined me. It destroyed my ability to get into relationships. And I was like, I was kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. Because the romance fiction I read, I felt like it was a blessing to me well, and in there preparing you, me for relationships. And that's that's where you recognize that these genres cover a wide range of authors and worldviews. And Romance is just so clear in that because you mm-hmm. have everything from the bodice rippers and pornographic stuff that nobody ought to read. Right. To... Grace Livingston Hill and Eugenia Uh Price, which were written by Christians for Christians. With Christian messages. With Christian messages and Christian worldview. Right. And so, yeah. uh Uh-huh. Well, you know, one of those things about reading with discernment, I guess there are two aspects to that. One of them is being willing to discern it when we read it to say, you know what? This is not profitable for me. This is something that is drawing me into temptation. It's drawing me into sin in my heart because... You know, Jesus warns us in the in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, when he says, uh, you know, you know that it's written, you shall not commit adultery. But if you engage in lust, if you embrace lust in your eyes, then that is adultery in your heart. Right. You know, that God looks on the heart and God judges us for what goes on in our heart, just as he judges us for what we do with our bodies. So we need to recognize maybe we're reading a book or any other kind of media and this is leading us in a temptation that we shouldn't be following, we need to be able to put it aside. That brings up, we should talk about bulbarization, but first, we need to talk to thank our sponsor this week. Right, so let's, let's take a break and hear from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. 
Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. Okay, so we're talking about discerning fictional genres and particular pieces within the genres. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of books here that were appropriate for us as grown-ups. And maybe we could, uh, if you would, bleep out some things as we read it for ourselves. But... So, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the genre uh-huh. of thriller, spy, and military fiction. Okay. Because, see, I love that stuff. And you know what? I know I'm not your usual girl here. Well, you know what? I'm former military, and I can say this without any prejudice one way or the other, but when you're dealing with military uh, groupings, you typically have language issues. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that just kind of comes with the territory. And so well, military fiction oftentimes has a lot of profanity. And Well, I think mm-hmm. about one of my favorite authors, Tom Clancy. Right. And one of his was so atrociously inappropriate, I had to throw it away in the middle. And that's really hard for me to do. I have a very high value for fiction, for literature and books. And uh-huh. I had I have to remind myself, a book isn't sacred because it's a book. No. If a book is unpro- unprofitable, it needs to be gotten rid of. And, and, we, we've got, and we've got a few books that, you know what, we've all seen movies where you think, this is a good PG-rated movie, except... There's about five minutes in the middle that I don't want my kids to see. Right. And, and you think they just stuck that scene in there to get an R rating so people would take it more seriously. Uh, and you know what? I don't mind taking a page out of a book or using a Sharpie and deleting a sentence. A book or, isn't holy. It's, it's okay. Not, it's not. And some people say, well, that's the you know the artist's work. Well, you know what? <laughs> now I it's am in my concern- house. I am concerned about the state of my heart the state of my family's heart, and what God would have me to do and embrace. And so, you know what? Your artistic integrity, I, I respect that, but it's lower priority to me. So they talk about that. They call that bolderizing. Right. And I have freely done it to a couple of Tom Clancy's I knew mm-hmm. our teenagers would enjoy yeah. tremendously, mm-hmm. but they did not need that language being repeated again and again because it was likely to pop out of their mouths and get them in big trouble. Right. And so I took a black pen and got rid of the language, and they loved it. They yeah. loved executive orders. They loved The Hunt for Red October, which I think is one of the best thrillers ever. Right. Yeah, they love that stuff, but I used my black pen. Uh-huh. And sometimes you gotta, you've mm-hmm. got to feel free to use your black pen. Sometimes using your black pen or stapling a couple of pages together or removing them can turn a book that is okay for some people in your family to a book everyone can enjoy okay now while we're on this genre you know one of the things that that kind of stands out to me is suspense thrillers spy novels in particular um they they kind of have an underlying story or the underlying question in so many of these is who can you trust yeah and the whole story is built on deception and oftentimes the reader is pulled into the deception, you know, where you don't know what the truth is of the story that's being told. And so it's, um, you know, I don't like that myself. I mean, <laughs> some people love it. Some people enjoy it. But, you know, I've read a few of those and I thought, 
I end up feeling anxious. Yeah. I, I feel worked up rather than relaxed. And, you know, one of the things about recreational activity of any sort is... It should be restorative. It should restore your energy and, and your, your spirits for the duties of the day to come. And so if I'm reading something and it's just making me anxious and making me feel tense... Yeah, that's not good Maybe that's not a good thing for you to read. And, and so I, I, I stay away from that genre. I'm not judging anybody else, but that's not a good one for me. Well, you know, the horror, the supernatural, mm-hmm. I think there's a shot of adrenaline that draws people to the, the excitement of being afraid. But that's one of those problematic genres. Well, so much of that is dealing with supernatural and and I think that's another part another part of the discernment thing that we have to look at is to say, does it um, does it elevate evil spirituality? Yeah. You know, it, one th- there's one thing. There's human sin on one side, but then there's the question of does this elevate and celebrate evil spiritual activity, whether it's necromancy or what, uh, what or demonology uh, or anything else and the majority in that genre do now there are some exceptions there are some you know, you know what frank the, class, the classic frankenstein yeah mary shelley's frankenstein is there's a there's a serious powerful moral message underlying that yeah about the relationship and responsibility of the creator with his creation i mean there's you can draw biblical principles out of a classic horror story but I think but that's an exception. That's when you got to be careful of. You got to be really careful in that area. Yeah, and, some of, and, and I think a lot of them have this idea that you know there's a there's a good spirituality and there's a bad spirituality, and they're in conflict and they're balanced out, and who's going to win? And you know we know who wins. God is God, and God wins overall. And yeah, that whole yin yang idea that is not that, acceptable that, to Christianity. That Manichaeism Taoist, is just not. Uh, yeah, that that's not that's not true. And yeah. and to, to even think that it's true, to even like to posit that it's truth, right now that's leading you away from biblical morality to start with. So now, you know we haven't talked about a couple of my favorite genres. Okay, we mentioned kind of sideways. We mentioned detective mystery and procedural fiction. Uh huh. But that is often probably generally acceptable to the Christian because the whole point of it is that evil is is found out and punished that there is that there is objective evil and objective righteousness in the world and the best of this genre is the ones the ones that have a a story arc where yes there's evil i mean that's the reason for the story but the evil is discovered and the evildoer reaches a bad consequence and and, you know and it takes different forms i mean it can be they are arrested and brought to trial, and justice goes, goes right. through the... Or, or sometimes it's... like I, I read one recently where the evildoer um, is found out, and as he's attempting to escape, he slips off a mountain and, and falls to his death. But you see that there's a consequence to his sin. There's a consequence to the evil that, in the end, righteousness prevails. And that's the arc that I want to see in, in those kind of stories. Now, a lot of detective fiction does have evil in it and evil characters and evil situations you know let's be real mm-hmm. murders don't don't happen as often in nice families right you know and so e- evil does happen and that can be a way for your teens to get a glimpse of what the world is like while seeing the consequences while seeing that it, that it ends in punishment and yeah well okay 
look at Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You have a young man who rebels against his father, and he goes out and lives a life of riot and expends all of the blessings that have been heaped upon him and is brought to a low position to the point where he goes back and basically begs for mercy and for clemency. You, you see the consequences of his actions. You know, Jesus is telling a story about a young man's rebellion. And that's not, yeah. you know, that's not a fairy it, tale for bedtime. Pretty, yeah. that, it's not pretty, but it's a powerful story and there's a redemptive arc in there. Now, some authors you ought to look at for that, for the mm-hmm. detective right. fiction. Dorothy Sayers, Rex Stout, Earl Stanley Gardner, and Perry Mason. Now, Marsh, yeah. uh, now, it's yeah. one of my favorites. And, you know, Agatha Christie is a mixed bag. As some of hers I absolutely love, but like the murder of Roger Ackroyd, yeah. that one, you go through the whole thing in the mind of a first-person narrator only to find out that you've been in the head of the criminal. The first-person narrator is the one who did the murder. I felt dirty. Yeah, it feels I, defiling. I felt defiled when I read that. I, I was so angry with it. I, yeah, and so and people say, "Oh, this is one of the classic." Well, it may be classic, but it's bad. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not good. Now we're running out of time, and there's one genre we haven't mentioned that I just love: uh-huh. historical fiction. Okay. And <clears throat> historical fiction, like all the rest of them, ha- it's good and bad. There well, are okay. historical fiction. Yeah. That is historically inaccurate. There's historical yeah. fiction that has inappropriate scenes, but there's also historical fiction that is totally historically accurate and mm-hmm. encourages you to do right. You know, one of the things you kind of look for is when you have to deal with the sin and the fallenness of the world, do you wallow in it and celebrate it, or do you show it as briefly as possible in a way to, to, to tell you, to tell you in your mind, okay, here is the problem. Yes. And so you understand the problem, you understand the evil, but you don't live through it, you don't celebrate it, you don't, you don't cheer for it. it. You know, one of the things, okay, back on the detective fiction kind of thing, there are some stories that are written from the uh, from the perspective of the criminal. You know, they're caper stories, like you're following a gang as they're planning and executing a jewel heist. You know, that's not good. I know. We, we don't make a mockery and make sport out of sin. We don't want the bad guys to win. You know, I remember mm-hmm. picking up a book at the beach one time. Right. And reading about a third of the way through it and realizing, oh my goodness, this book has me cheering on this lady who's about to commit adultery. Slam that clothes and threw it away. You know, we, we've yeah. got to use discernment in all of it. Right. You know, I don't think there's any genre that we can say Christians should never ever read this uh-huh. but there are genres that require more discernment that there that there's more of a mixed bag some genres much of much of it is great some genres much of it is bad yeah but you're going to have to use discernment in any genre that you read you know one of the things that's useful we've done this with our young people as they've grown up is to to say as we finished a, a book finished a movie or whatever say okay what is what is the theme of this book? Or can you summarize this book in one sentence? Hey, we need to talk about that in a whole different episode. A whole different episode, yeah. So let's do that maybe next week. Okay, maybe next week we can talk about okay. that. But the point being, you think about what you're hearing. Think about what you're reading. Think about what you're running through your mind and, and running through your heart. In the end of the day, is it going to build you up? Is it going to strengthen you in some way? Is it going to call you back to God and call you back to a righteous lifestyle? Or is it a distraction from that? Or worse yet, is it tempting you to sin? If it's tempting you to sin, you need to stop. You need to put it down. All right. 
Well, look, we can, like you said, we can go on and on about this, but just wanted to talk about books because we love books and fiction. We love fiction. We have stacks of it around, and I just ordered some more for our long trip coming up. We're going Yay. to be going to Japan. That's in a right. Few weeks. Y'all be praying so for us. We need books for those very, very long flights. But um, look, we hope that you will join us again. And I have a freebie for him, Hal. RaisingRealMen.com slash reading pack. Reading pack. And it has um, some great book lists for your kids. Excellent. We'll also put some links out to some other episodes where we talk about some of our nonfiction books that we enjoy. So, look, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you for investing the time. We hope you'll join us again. And until then, I'm Hal. And I'm Melanie. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to Making Biblical Family Life Practical with Hal and Melanie Young. If you found this program interesting, challenging, and encouraging, why not join us on the web at halandmelanie.com. That's H-A-L-A-N-D-M-E-L-A-N-I-E.com. Or follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook slash Hal and Melanie or Facebook.com slash Raising Real Men. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join us next week when we'll be back to talk about making biblical family life practical. Until then, thank you and God bless you for listening.